thank you for praying and gathering this morning for this special time of prayer. And I'm, I'm certain several people will be watching or uh, listening this coming week on and off of our website uh, to the service today. And we're praying for, for everyone. We're praying for all of you that have stayed home and uh, let you know that your pastor is thinking about you. Um, God bless you. Amen. We're going back to the word today. We're going to Genesis chapter 19. And we were there last Sunday, obviously. And we began talking about a story um, that you're very familiar with called Sodom and Gomorrah. And and the focus of the story, of course, was Lot. We know that. Um, But uh, look at the title there. We have it on the screen there in front of you, Spiritual Aid. And again, remember what started all this as I thought about first aid and how we provide aid and help for our physical bodies. This is interesting timing, by the way, in all of this, what's happening. But, but we do pay attention and we give attention to our, our physical bodies. And I believe there's just as much, if not more, need to give attention to our, our spiritual bodies or our, our soul. So the question that I have this morning is what does spiritual aid look like? When an individual is in a, in a spiritual life or death situation. Or maybe when you really, really, I mean really do not like life right now. <laughs> I mean when you really do not like what's happening to your life or what you're going through right now in life and you just don't like it. I mean, I mean how, do we, how do we move through that space in such a way that God in, 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 in encourages us and God is lifting us and God is speaking into our lives during that time that we're living in that space. That we're saying, man, I really do not like life. And in fact, I, I think uh, Lot's family can relate to this. Because you remember, of course, Lot, he's greeted by the angels or he, he meets the angels there at the city gate and then he takes them to his home. And that's kind of the lighter side. He's a great host and he shows them all kinds of kindness. But then the thing kind of turns dark. You remember that because the men of the city, young and old, come and they begin to bang on the door and they surround the home. And again, in the kind of dark way, what happens is the men are saying, send those men out because we want to do some things to you. And it's pretty graphic, so I do not need to say it. And they're wanting to do these horrible things to these men. And then, of course, I begin to scratch my head because what Lot does, his response is he he says, well, I have a couple daughters and I'm going to send those out to you. And I'm thinking, what in the world is that? And yes, it's kind of dark. So let's just jump in and look at verse nine, begin at verse nine. And we're going to read a little bit this morning. So just hang in there. We go to verse nine. We're going to go down through about verse 26 together just to kind of get the whole story in our mind. Get out of our way. They replied. This fellow came here as a foreigner and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. And they kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But then the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house. The men, meaning the angels. They reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. And then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so they could not find the door. Interesting, it kind of sounds apocalyptic almost in nature. And and it's like the zombies have risen from the dead and now they're kind of banging against the door and the sides of the house and, you know, across the porch, they're stumbling around. And so you have this very vivid image that's happening because they're, they're struck with blindness. And then we pick up in verse 12. The two men said to the lot, do you have any, anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belong to you? Get them out of here because we're going to destroy this place. 
The outcry to the Lord against his people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. It's interesting. I mean, the whole idea of their perception of, of Lot's interpretation of listening to, to God and listening to, to what is, is the command of the Lord and righteousness. And it's interesting because it's so similar to what we see in the media and the world today is they, they almost laugh at the idea of having faith. And laugh at the idea of, of having this idea that is called Christianity. It's interesting that there is this perception that, oh, he must be joking. And with the calming, the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you'll be swept away. But Lot said to them, no, my lords, please. Your servant has found favor in your eyes and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Look, here's a town near enough to run to and it's small. Let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. He said to them, very well, I will grant this. Or they said to him, very well, I will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly because I cannot do anything. Excuse me. Because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town was called Zor. By the time Lot reached Zor, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for the word this morning. And I thank you, Lord, that, that you have the ability, whatever it is we're reading in your word, to say to us what you need to. And I, Lord, I, I'm not going to presume I know what each individual needs to hear this morning. So, Lord, we just, we just trust you. We, we, Lord, we, we are leaning into you and we're asking, Father in heaven, that you would speak Today, to that one man, that one woman, or that person this morning that is just, they've come here and they're listening. And so, Father in heaven, I pray you'd speak, and I know you will. Thank you, Father, for your word. I pray that you would bless it in the reading of it. And I ask all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name. Amen. Now, as I mentioned last week, I said all kinds of flags or red flags are run up the pole here because we're wondering what in the world is happening. I mean, why is God doing this and why is Lot responding? And and in fact, there are these questions that I have to ask, which is if God is love, why would he be so destructive in killing these people? Or another question, why would Lot be so quick to give up people in his family, sample his daughter? 
Or another question, why does Lot have the gall to ask, don't save me that way, save me this way. Can I go over here instead of over there? I mean, if, if I was getting saved, I didn't think, I don't think I would, you know, be wanting to be saved in a different way than, you know, the angels were offering. But that's what he does. I mean, he has the audacity to ask those kinds of questions. Now, I think for us to really understand or really to sink our teeth in the message this morning, we first need to remember that Lot is Abraham's nephew. And in honor of Abraham, Lot is spared. That is key. In fact, we go to verse 29. Go back to the text. In fact, it's beyond our text this morning. But in verse 29, we read, So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe. And when we read that, understand or absorb what it is that's happening, we have to admit this is an awesome testimony to our prayer life. This is awesome testimony that the relationship that Abraham had with God influenced God. And, and of course, then God's response to Lot and his situation. And and man, if this ever stands to reason that it's important that we pray and we pray as a mom and pray as a dad and pray as a grandparent. Man, this is the example because God hears the prayers of his people. Amen. And so this is what's happening, obviously. And then, in fact, another example in Ezekiel chapter 16, much, much later, God compares the sins of Judah with this ancient city of Sodom and Gomorrah and really more concerned about their habits of self-destruction wreaking havoc on the generations that are to come. And so if there is a sort of spiritual aid, that's what we're talking about. Remember the title. We're talking about spiritual aid. If there's some sort of spiritual aid, the spiritual aid, mom and dad, is the long view, not just the immediate circumstances, but the long view of things and the providence of God. And then in the providence of God, in the long view, the things that we think, oh, this is not a big deal or it's just a little sin. That what I'm saying, dads, is those things are going to affect not only your generation, but generations to come. Amen. <clears throat> so we recognize that. Now, as far as the questions, one question is, is the one when we ask, well, if God is love, right? We look at the story and we see all these things that are coming down and we say, man, if God is love, like the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, my response here would be the sovereignty of God. Because in spite of bad things, here's the reality that God is still sovereignly working things out in his sovereignty. Like the story I I mentioned a a few weeks ago about the impact of the Purpose Driven Life book written by Rick Warren. Do you remember the story? And they made a movie out of it. And and it was the story of this this mother that was kidnapped by a thief and a murderer that just robbed a bank, I guess. And he had then kidnapped her and she was locked away in a bathroom for several hours. And and so with nothing else to do, she starts reading a a portion of the book, The Purpose Driven Life. and, And then the spirit of God descends down on that bathroom And that man's life is transformed because he falls under conviction and guilt and finally gives his heart to Jesus Christ. It was not God's will that that that, that man should be a thief or to be a murderer. But it was in spite of that, the sovereignty of God was working things out. You see, I'm saying that in the midst of bad things in this fallen world, we have to live with, yes, gravity and, and, and disease and, yes, the coronavirus. Well, the sovereignty of God does not promise utopia. 
And that's something I had to kind of settle with myself. That he does not promise utopia. It, it does promise that the reality of peace, or he promises the reality of peace, even when it seems there is no possibility of having peace, like Lot's family. Because I imagine in my mind's eye in the very vivid imagery of the, 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 the guys, you know, hammering on the door and, and, and trying to get in the house and trying to do those horrific things. I mean, you see, the family didn't know that the, the angels were going to respond and strike them in with blindness. So I can imagine in that scenario, they had to be thinking in their minds, man, this is impossible. Are we ever going to get out of here? I mean, we're going to die. I'm wondering if you've ever felt that way. I mean, never felt like, man, this is an impossibility. And maybe it's a relationship or maybe it's a work situation that you're a part of. Or, or, or maybe it's a fact that you're in just this, this rut and there's this behavior in your life and you're clawing to get out of this thing and trying to climb the walls. And, and you're in a situation that is a situation that seems to be absolutely impossible in life. I'm wondering if you've ever felt that way. Probably every one of us at some time have been there where it feels like we're facing an impossible situation. So we're looking at what is it? The sovereignty of God. And then the question, how could Lot even think of giving up his daughters? I mean, to say the least, this is a shocking demonstration to the depravity that was present at that time. Both in regards to what the men of the city were wanting to do and, of course, Lot's response to what they were wanting to do. And I mean, wow. Also, this may speak to the culture at the time and the low place of, of women and the concept of protecting one's guests at any cost and even sacrificing a family member to protect the, you know, to protect the guests. And so, yeah, there might be some you know, cultural relevance here that's impacting this. But I think in my mind's eye, this is more... Of an example of the steady progression of compromise in Lot's heart. And in fact, one commentary mentions how he vacillates between looking towards Sodom and living and pitching a tent in Sodom. And this is probably why, and I mentioned this last week, this is probably why he is at the city gates or he is found at the city gates when he encounters the angels. He's at the city gates because he has one foot in one world, that township, and another foot in another world, you know, vacillating between, you know, the two things. Yes, recognized as a righteous man, but folks, there's a lot of righteous men and women here this morning, and I bet some of us are tempted. And the temptation for Lot, you see, what he's vacillating on is, you know, hey, being righteous versus being a part of this thing, and then it's so interesting, so intriguing, but man, it is sin. And we see this in, in Lot's life in this steady progression of, of compromise and it is impacting him. It is impacting him in the life of his family living on the border of sin and chaos and the life of righteousness. And this is, this is relevant because sin and chaos always wreaks havoc on the moral compass of life. It wreaks havoc on, on, on how we make decisions and who we are as a person. And then it sends us into a life that is absorbed in pure selfishness. And then we wonder why we're making these decisions, these bad decisions. We're forgetting how to love and what we should really value in life. You see, I, I think the passage shows us the, the state of mind that Lot was in. And I understand as a pastor, I could give you a list of spiritual disciplines like pray often, trust more, have faith and memorize scripture, you know, you know, have big faith and, you know, be really these, this prayer war. I mean, I understand I could give you a laundry list of to do things as spiritual giants. 
But that does very little when we're facing the complexities of life and the questions that we have are so complex and so tough, we find out there's no easy answer. And I think we're living it out right now. We're living it out right now. There's no easy answer. (laughs) But I believe, not to oversimplify, maybe I am, that there is an easy answer. The easy answer is truth. The answer is truth as, as we know it in, in God. In fact, we go to the passage, back to the passage and looking at verses 23 through 26. Uh, just peruse those verses for just a moment. Look at them at just a moment. And then we find ourselves descending down on verse 26. And then we listen and see what happens there in verse 26. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. <laughs> you know, humans are the absolute best at looking back. You know, doubting ourselves, our decisions, even our actions. There's a time. There is a time, church, to keep our eyes on the prize. I love how the Apostle Paul uses the sports analogies, you know, like the Olympics and especially, you know, running the race as if to get the prize. And that we're running the race and we're disciplining ourselves as if we're going to cross the finish line in in a spiritual sense. I I love the sports analogies. And unfortunately, some of us, many of us are, are missing out on some of the sports that's been canceled. I get it. Sports. It's it's a great experience. I I will never forget 1977. I mentioned this to Mike, I think. 1977 was the World Series. It was in full swing. And Reggie Jackson was about to make baseball history. Anybody remember that? My wife, my wife and I, my, my father and I were watching the series. In fact, we were avoiding things and canceling things. We didn't want to miss a game, not a minute of the game, because Reggie Jackson was going to set a world record they were talking about. And, and in fact, he did. Now, my father and I, we, we played baseball together. My, my dad was a, a little league coach. In fact, a winning little league coach. And my dad's favorite team was the, team was the New York Yankees. And, and so dad was into making sure that I was, you know, loved baseball and I was a good player. In fact, we didn't just play catch, Bob. My father and I, we spent three hours grounding balls. I mean, he'd hit me grounders for three hours or, or pop flies. And then, of course, I'd spend three hours, you know, hitting the ball. I mean, we were into baseball. And the big thing about all the practice and, and all the focus was the fact that he, he said to me over and over, he said it one time, he said it 5,000 times, and that is keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball. And so what he taught me is that as the ball was thrown, released from the pitcher, I watched that ball literally make contact with the bat. And then I'd literally, as I'm grounding the ball, I'm literally watching that ball into my glove because there's a tendency to not watch it all the way, to not watch it all the way. But keep your eye on the ball. I mean, I remember playing games and dad attended every game I ever played and he'd yell, keep your eye on the ball. (laughs) I remember his voice. Keep your eye on the ball. Well, Reggie Jackson, he did hit more home runs in the World Series than any other man before him until his record was matched, I believe, in 2009 by Chase Utley. Remember I said, the truth is easy? Well, here it is. Keep your eye on Jesus. Keep your eye on the Lord and never, never, never look back. We look at Hebrews 12, 2, and we read, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. 
In Psalms 119, in that chapter, we read, Open your eyes to see the wondrous things, the beautiful things the Lord hath made. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 22, we read that the, lot, the eye is the lamp of the body. And what we see with the eye, we are taking in and it becomes a part of our heart. And it is shaping us. It's informing our heart. Whatever we see with our eye, guys. In Psalm 34, 5, we read, keep your eyes on the Lord and you will shine like the sun. <laughs> it's interesting. I, I found one source that said that there are 478 passages. 478 passages in 49 different books of the Bible that mention your eyes. Lot's wife looked back. I guess the best spiritual aid for this morning is to say, keep your eyes on the Lord. I mean, when you're feeling the pressure... Keep your eyes on the Lord. When the deadlines are looming and you've got to get it done, keep your eyes on the Lord. And when your heart is being squeezed, keep your eyes on the Lord. And when you're discouraged and it seems like there's chaos at every turn and there's a coronavirus that's running rampant in our society, in our world, keep your eyes on the Lord. And in the situation when the sulfur is raining down, I bet Lot would say and be reminded of keeping your eyes on the Lord. And when I think of uh, Psalms 46 and when the mountains begin to quake and tumble and fall into the sea and the ground beneath your feet begins to rumble and shake. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep your eyes on the Lord. And I don't know what the Lord is saying or, or what you need to hear this morning. But I know this, that in the midst of all of it, in the midst of all of it, the word of the Lord is reminding us that we are to keep Our eyes on him and he will see us through and he will be our guide and he will be our hope and he will he will be that long lasting love and presence in your life that you know that he is when you keep your eyes on the Lord. I want to ask us, church, can we do that this morning? Can we do that as leadership? Can we do that as individuals and moms and dads? Can we do that as a family? Can we say, okay, we're going to keep our eyes on the Lord. Amen. And I believe we'll be surprised. When we see what God will do. Because I believe that we're on the cusp of revival. We're on the cusp of of God's doing something and moving. And I believe that it's possible that we can be surprised how God moves among us in this world. When we realize that really the only thing that is sure. The only thing that's sure is Jesus Christ.